0: For some reason, I just have to start this episode by saying, "Doctor, Doctor, <laughs> Doctor Charles Corfu is fun. He's energetic. He surely is lively, but he's got so much vulnerability in him. And he really went there in this episode. And I'm so grateful for that. I don't know if it's now a gift of mine or just an expectation when you come on the Fit and Faith podcast that we're going to go to the comeback story, right? The messy part, but..." He was so open, and I think it's so amazing to be able to partner with men in their journey to help others transform in that regard. And so through his authenticity, you can check him out further in the What's Your Revolution podcast. He also has a pretty rad job helping women of color to establish their businesses. And if you know anything about where I go with my business coaching My big dream is to be that investor, to be the person who's actually giving other women the opportunity to stand in their passion and purpose and do so financially sound and with backing. And so it's really cool to have this partnership with him. He's in a co-working space with me. And so I will definitely be continuing to pick his brain way after this podcast, but you guys have to tune in. It was so incredible. And I hope you also share it with somebody that you know, that's male, because I think it will empower them too to be in touch with their emotions and to be aligned with the purpose of where we are and who we are in our identity with the Lord. So thank you so much for everything that you do. I love that you guys listen in, subscribe and review, share this on social media tag us both and we will tag you back thanks again have a beautiful day and enjoy dr. Charles. and you have to say it with me dr. doctor this is your god wink the moment that heaven says for such a time as this it's time to own your joy prioritize your health discover your wealth and exude your wholeness it's time to become truly fit However, this isn't a fitness podcast, though I'm a retired personal trainer and nutritionist. This isn't business jargon or tips and tricks to landing your successful passion project, though that's totally why I'm a business coach. This isn't a quick fix health detox ploy, though I'm all for therapy and I love whole foods. I do have a YOLO side sweet tooth, though. This isn't confusing religious banter. Though I'm an ordained minister still figuring out the many things and facets and faces of Jesus. It's really none of that. So I'm wondering, if you're wondering, what is this? Well, this is an opportunity to join me alongside other big dreamers, innovative movers and lifestyle shakers as we explore and share our messy comeback stories and discoveries with each of you fellow passionate seekers. The Fit and Faith movement was birthed through my own trial and error discovery of mind, body, and soul alignment, and to be totally transparent, my own entrepreneurial crash and burn experiences. I've learned firsthand that being fit isn't about our physique at all. It's not about our qualifying abilities or titles. It's not about our potential. It's truly about our God-gifted passions meeting our purpose. You are one step away from achieving your idea, your dream, your calling, your purpose, whatever you want to call it. And I want to be there for the moment that you say yes in freedom, clarity, and confidence that you are living fully fit in who and whose you were made to be. Welcome to the Fit and Faith podcast with me, Tamara Andress. There is no better time than now to get fit. Good day, good day. I am so excited to be here for the Fit and Faith podcast. We are going to be live streaming today with a special guest. And I have to be honest, we're actually in the same building. So we're in different rooms, though. (laughs) So we wanted to come and be fully inactive for you today. But welcome to the stage, Dr. Charles Corpru. We are honored to be with you. And I'm honored to have this time to just invest in you and learn more and glean. I've been gleaning from your podcast, What's Your Revolution podcast for the past weekend. And uh, it's been, it's been transformational to be tuned into a demographic that is unlike myself mm-hmm. um, and to learn specifically what that heartbeat is, what, what your revolution is to you. So there's so many bio pieces. You guys as bio is extensive and impressive and uh, really just rad, but ultimately like what we were just saying before we got on, it's so nice to have this like human to human connection with a coworker in the same space that are doing different things, but ultimately serving People and humanity for good, and so I would love for you to give yourself your own bio, and then we can jump into conversation.
1: I'm just happy to be here with you, Tamara. It is a, a it is a blessing, and I uh, just want to show tremendous gratitude for our connection. You know, as I said in, in the in the green room, as I call it on my show, just being able to connect with you and then watch you in space is just an amazing thing. And, and you know, when you see. Uh, generational leadership. And that's what I think when I see you and your ability to connect with people and really bring out the best part of them. So I'm excited to be here with you and be a part of your revolution because it's impacting so many people. Um, I always like to say my bio, I am a Green Run graduate. And so I love Green Run High School. It is a part of who I am. And so every time that I'm on the show, I want to talk a little bit about my experiences as a 89 graduate of Green Run High School because it was that foundational period during the late eighties at Green Run that really fostered my worldview. Uh, we were a, a a culmination of Asian, black, white, Filipino at Green Run High School that molded together uh, and really bonded together. And so it allowed me to see culture in a very different perspective than rather just going to a, a predominantly black school, a predominantly white school, it was this time where people came together as teenagers. Um, we didn't really think about life from what was going on behind those walls at home with everybody else. We just thought about what life was like when we were together. And so some of my closest relationships are still from being at Green Room High School from 86 to 89, and that love and joy. i like to joke, Tamara, that my, my blood is Kelly Green, royal blue and white because I am, I am a sty in through and through. Just want to give a little shout out to our class president who passed because of COVID a couple weeks, Gil Flores, a tremendous man, tremendous leader and just a great friend. And just shout out to he and his family and to all of our stallion clan who, you know, want to make sure that we are behind each other uh, during this period and that we love each other. But that's the foundation of who I am. I grew up a a two parent household with both educators, my mom, my mother and father. My father was a principal for 35 years uh, in Norfolk my mother was a reading specialist. And so I had books in front of me at a very, very early age. My parents were reading to me. And so I began this love of reading very early. My mom would always throw something funny. I want you to read this, recite it to me. And then I had my grandmother, who was her mother who lived with us, who was a, a very Christian faith woman. And so she had me reading the Bible and uh, reciting scripture. And so that's how I grew up at home. Uh, and then I moved to James Madison University, where I got a, a degree in black studies and history and what I was like, what am I gonna do with this Tamra? What am I gonna do with a degree in history? And so I didn't, I pushed it away so much but I didn't wanna go into the family business. I didn't wanna be a teacher. Ultimately, what did I do? I became a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) So Uh, good. Yeah, Uh, I taught at Great Neck Middle and then I went back to Greenwood High School and taught for five years. And it was one of the the best times of my life and being the baseball coach there and mentoring young African-American men And so one day I remember them telling me, they were like, you're too big for this. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm here for you. I want to be here with you all. They were like, no, you've got to do something greater in life. And they were like, well, have you ever thought about going to get your PhD, being a doctor? And I was like, no, I haven't. And so I started looking into it. And, you know, but, you know, uh, God moved in and said, I'm going to move you into this space. And so I got my PhD at Tulane uh, in 2011, went went to New Orleans and lived there for 15 years and (laughs) That's been my journey. Professor, I started a a firm, a consulting firm in 2015, worked very well. And now I find myself in venture capital, uh, working with entrepreneurs uh, who are women and of color, really helping them build and proliferate their ventures. So it's been a great life. And I'm really excited about, you know, what is happening in the world and the ability to actually help people find their revolution.
0: That is so cool. And we actually have so much in common. I was born and bred here. I went to Ocean Lakes High School. Okay. and right. my husband was Green Run, but elementary school. So he <laughs> grew up <laughs> oh, that's New so York, good. so he he grew up going there. And, like, to this day, and it, and I really value the way that you talk about community, because while I love my alma mater, I don't think of it in the same regard as far as the community goes. And my husband, really, to this day, he talks all about the community that was there in elementary school and what they would do after school and, and just like the heartbeat of um, brotherhood that existed, the infusing of music that has now like followed him into the ears and the hearts of my children. And the rap music that's just like so awesome. Um, And so I'm always like, oh, that's a little too, he's a little too young for that. But, you know, (laughs) he's like, I'm trying to keep it clean. I'm trying to keep it clean. But it's just, it's such a heartbeat to who he is. And I think that's a really cool testament to hear you talk about that and how it's still such a huge part of who you are today. Uh, Another component that I wanted to talk about I don't think I knew that you went to JMU. Did you know I went to JMU?
1: No. Yes. (laughs) No. I did not know that. Where'd you stay? Where, I was, where?
0: gosh, I was in Weaver Hall. OK, I was in I was
1: Garber my senior. first year.
0: All right. And then yeah. sophomore year, I was an RA at McGraw Lawn. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. I, was an,
1: I was an RA and then a hall director at Bell.
0: That's so <laughs> rad. Then I lived at Sun Chase. <laughs>
1: Sanchez wasn't even built. I I I know, I know,
0: and so it's so cool. When I was an RA, I was actually um, I was in the same dorm room as the freshman football team, and so I was not only a um, you know the the white girl on the second floor who might type up your homework if you bring it to her. (laughs) I was also like the go-to, just like, "Hey, can I get by with this?" They would al- always come in and l- watch my big flat-screen TV at the time, still a massive box, right? But it right. was a flat screen, and they would come in and chill and put their feet up on my papa's on chairs. And one of them actually was on my podcast recently. He ended up playing the NFL for the Jacksonville Jaguars, okay. and I went to high school with him locally as well, Scotty McGee. Um, he'd be amazing on your podcast, so I would love I that in the love, intro. I would Love
1: that. Were you there when uh, they won? When I won? was. First, first national championship? I was. I wow. sure was. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. So uh, that's such a cool connection. But ultimately, I feel like that school was a part of, I was in this like really weird stage of life. And I'd love to unpack to hear if that's something that you ever experienced between schools or even when you were teaching where you felt like you weren't living to that potential. It sounds like other people were recognizing that in you, but you might have just been in a state of... Mediocrity? Tell me about that.
1: That's an interesting question, Tamara. I think uh, I've never really fully set, and I don't want to sound hubris, fully set in my greatness. Uh, My father and mother are very humble people. My grandmother was a very humble person, and they've never been ones to, you know, to to toot, you know, say this toot their own horns. Or I've always been one to say, you know, if someone is saying, or, or, uh, you know, giving me accolades or things, thank you, and to be gracious and humble. Um, and so that has been, I think, that imposter syndrome, I think that's where I want to go, has been in, in places, and I've seen it through life. Uh, I saw it in college when the ability to actually step up and actually lead. I had to really step out uh, and be a really good hall director. Uh, I was one of the youngest you know, uh, hall directors at JMU at the time, and so how was I going to lead all of these upperclassmen? Um, and then when I got out and teaching, I was a very young teacher, um, and trying to actually step into this role. I, I worked with some very veteran teachers who had their way and to try to show deference to them. Uh, but then I really realized that I had to actually step out of that. Mm-hmm. I think what I do now, particularly with the, the men that I work with and what we try to do on the show, is that you have to step into you know this life of greatness. And there's still a line of, uh, of humility and humbleness and gratitude that goes along with that. But some of the most prolific people I know are people who have said, you know what, I'm okay sitting in this aspect. I'm going to move forward. And, yes, I'm really, really good at that, and that's okay, but I'm going to serve as well. And so uh, I've sat in mediocrity, but I've also had those times where I said, like, you can't sit here long because you're not serving yourself and you're not serving others. Because if they see you, because people have seen the greatness within you, you have to actually step up and actually give that greatness out to the world. And so uh, I try to do that every week with the podcast where I have the ability to bring on, as I say, dope black men who are doing dope, influential stuff in the world. And that's my revolution. And I get I I get to stand in that and I get to illuminate their greatness. And I think I'm pretty good after four years, hopefully, you know.
0: I love this so much. And you guys, he has, he's got it. His show is incredible and four years in running. I'm in my third year now and it, it's a testament to, um, consistency, to obedience, to pursuing your personal revolution. So I love that so much. And my heart about dropped. You just used the word that I like have simmered over in your exact phraseology, which is like, there's a bajillion words, right? I was thinking, okay, Tamara, as I listened to your podcast the first time, I listened to your pilot episode, and then I listened to the very next one, and I was like, "Gosh, what's my revolution?" Mm -hmm. Because what a what a profound question, what like a deep question. You know, I don't even know if you ask that to a stranger on the street that they would be able to fluster up words in that moment. And so it's been something I've really been processing over the course of the last week and a half, and today I was like you know what it is and my gal who's on here right now my right hand Morgan who also works alongside us she said she asked me for a question she said what are the three words that describe your podcast and she's redoing like my podcast page on my website right now and so I was like I don't know let me think for a second and so the one word that always sticks out to me on everything that I do is illumination. And Mm -hmm. you said, illuminate what they do. And it is such a passion of mine to find light within other people and let it just shine on the lampstand that is intended to be not under a basket, biblical scripture reference right there. If you don't know, your grandma taught you well, though, I'm sure. Um, But it's just the recognition of like, there is light within all of us. There is greatness within all of us. There is purpose within all of us. We're all called uniquely. And whether, you're a teacher, which is a profound profession, or you're a mama or a daddy or whatever it is that you decide to pursue, there is greatness inside of you that you have to continue to step out of the mediocrity, which I ultimately think is the comfort zone. Like I'm comfortable. Everything's just right. And I'm like, do you really ever want it to be just right? Like what would your prayer life be like if everything was just right? Right? Yes. And so I'm so curious, like I've been waiting to ask you, and you said it sort of like this is my revolution, but like what, what exactly is your revolution?
1: My revolution is actually to uplift the stories of Black men who have journeyed along the way and found hope and glory and greatness mm-hmm. uh, through their tribulations and trials and have been able to say, you know what, I am better. I'm the better version of myself. And it's interesting, Tamara, I say the best version of ourselves. And the best version of ourselves is a journey. And many of the men that I have, uh, men and women who have been on the show have been able to chronicle you know, you know, know, the trials. And I love that you just said, it's like, what would your prayer life be like if you were just comfortable? And that is a very interesting thing to say because uh, I was listening to Steve Hardaby this morning uh, as I was coming to work and he was talking about that like life is not always going to be great, right? He was like, he he lists all of these luminaries and he's like, I promise you, even though we see them smiling and we uplift them every day, their lives are not perfect. But what would your prayer life be like, you know, if you did not have faith? And my revolution is really to, going back to our word, illuminate those stories of of black men. Because too often we have been... <clears throat> I wanna say socialized to think that black men are not doing great things in the world. And I have 105 episodes of men who are doing amazing things. And like I said, I get to interview actors, athletes, activists, uh, and artists who are just proliferating greatness, but who have been through these periods of time in life who said, you know what, I'm not great. I'm not the best version of myself. I'm actually a horrible person. And I got to this point. There was an event. And I always say to everybody, there's an event that's going to happen in your life that's going to shift. Right. If you really hear that. Somebody asked me that the other day, like, what was the event in your life that got you to think about being this person that you are now? And and so I begin to tell this this story. And so I tell everyone, if you hear the men that I interview will tell you about that catalytic event in their lives where they were like, oh, my God, excuse me. I'm a horrible man. And if I'm going to continue to be this way, then I'm going to hurt people. And some people don't, the event happens and some people don't move on from it, Tamara, they just continue going. But really some people, some people say, you know what, I can't live this way. And and that was what it was for me. I was like, I cannot live this way. I can't even see myself as a good person when you really do the introspection. And I said, I cannot be this way anymore. And so Fortunately, there are other men in the world who either are looking for that to see what it feels like, or they've done that, and I get to interview them and they get to put their revolutions out to the
0: world. That's so incredibly powerful. And I just think, honestly, the testimony that God would have us have, right? Like he doesn't want us in a comfort zone because that's that's not exciting. And it doesn't give him glory when you stay in that restful place. And so I have experienced that in my own life. I can absolutely think of like that one event, that one season really was what it was. And I tell people uh, that it was my quarter life crisis. Um, But I get to take and put God's name above everything, which is really where that confidence piece where that um, that glory piece that you were kind of mentioning to, we get to illuminate the God within us in order to stand in our confidence, stand in our boldness, stand in our greatness. And it not being, look at me, look at me, look at me. I can tell you right now when I, I stepped into this experience as a business coach a few years ago, I wouldn't even put my name on my business card, my my picture on my business card. I didn't want my name attached to anything. I felt like I was an imposter in my own being. And I was like, no, I want it to all go to God. It was the whole reason that I named Fit and Faith what I did. And it wasn't anything about me. And my book was Fit and Faith, all these things that were never Tamara Andress. And there were advocates in my corner who were like, no, it's not about your name, but it's about the God within you, the Jesus who came and, and resurrected the Tamra Andress that he now calls by name. And so daughter, king, queen, whatever that is and whoever it is that you're helping to illuminate, There is so much passion and power behind that pivotal moment if you allow there to be. And otherwise, you live a life of a constant rearview mirror and you're constantly staying stuck in a place that kept you bound and trapped in a false identity. And nobody is intended to be held or bound by those change. So imposter syndrome is huge for me because I think that oftentimes the imposter is really just the enemy. And it's actually not anything God would have you say or claim or be when you look in the mirror, when you're looking into his face at any point, when you get to the end of the road, right? That, that being, that greatness that you intend to be. I always say that we're always becoming. And so it's knowing that the best version of you is likely the version standing next to Jesus looking down on the earth because wow. we should always be learning. There's never a point of stop, right? All right, quick pause. I love that you're tuning into this show. Really, your shares, your subscribes and reviews, even your listens mean a ton to me personally and honestly to all of us who put these shows out weekly for your listening pleasure. But are you ready? I think it's time that I put you in the hot seat for a question. If you're resonating with all of these multi-passionate, God-loving success stories, then I bet you have one of your own. Maybe you're even in the midst of that comeback Regardless, there is a deeper message inside of you. I am sure of it. It's your why factor for living life. So here's the question. Why not turn that mess into a message by starting a podcast of your very own? It's time for you to amplify. And since I've been podcasting for a couple years now and I've trained dozens of shows into launch, I've also hit top of the charts across the globe. Why would you want to learn from anybody else? I'm also pretty fun. And so is my team. And we put together this e-course. And don't stop here. Don't fast forward. Hold up. I know you're thinking e-course, me-course. Everybody's got a course. But this one is truly as good as it gets. I give you behind the scenes, step-by-steps. My team is screen sharing exactly what they do post-processing. There are video modules and a workbook, plus we offer direct group coaching with us. No videos, us live in action. Let's create that human-to-human connection So really, there's nothing like it. I would encourage you to go check out tamraandress.com and check out the course tab. Once you get there, there's even a free mini course option if you want to see the behind the scenes and not really take my word for it. So you should take my word for it. You're here listening to me right now. So I appreciate you. We love you. We encourage you. But girl, boy, man, woman, father, dog, whatever, (laughs) it's time for you to amplify. All right. Now let's get back to the show so tell me as like you continue to become i wanted to like dive into so many different places here one i'm super curious about i'm super curious about the venture capital piece of what you do because my big grandiose mission is that i would be able to plant seeds and sow into people's hearts and ministries and god dreams um so that they can flourish them and bring them to life and money is always one of the biggest objection uh, points. And so what exactly do you get to do alongside these women? And I love that they're women of color. And I, we can't plan this. Only God can plan this y'all today. And yesterday was the beginning of black history month. And so I just feel honored to just be in this space with you. And I want to like, just pick your brain about why you continue to invest in that specific community, showcase who you are, the heartbeat of green run. Right. Mm-hmm. And like, what exactly that looks like to support.
1: I appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to our founder at Camelback Ventures, Aaron Walker, and the wonderful team of people that I work with at Camelback Ventures. There are nine of us. We're expanding uh, in a couple months. Uh, Camelback Ventures' belief is that opportunity is uh, equal, but genius is equal, but opportunity is not. Mm-hmm. And so we saw, uh, as you know, as an entrepreneur, Tamara, that our ability to find pain points and then to actually create solutions to those pain points uh, is what allows entrepreneurship to grow. You know, we think about Airbnb, we think about uh, Lyft, uh, we think about Uber, those unicorns that are out there. But if you go on down the ecosystem, there are great ventures that are solving pain points for people every day that we don't know about. And these are big dollars dollar, million dollar, thousand dollar companies. And so what we were seeing in the landscape was that women and people of color who were building these ventures were not getting the capital. Only about 2% of venture capital goes towards uh, black and brown women, right? And you think about you here, we talked about Clubhouse today in our uh, in our conversation. They got a $1 billion valuation and they don't generate any revenue. Can you imagine that? Uh, of no, one day, oh they God. do not generate any revenue. And so, but I have the ability to work with a great team that funds wonderful ventures created by women and people of color that are actually have the ability to shift the lives, particularly of of black and indigenous people of color, right, to shift that. The hardest thing, though, is that finding and really proliferating and catalyzing that capital that will go into them to help them build their billion dollar valuation, their 1000000 dollar valuation. And so we thought, well, if they can't get the funding, we will pool the funds and fund them. But it just doesn't stop there. We think about that—that that community, capital, connections, curriculum, and um, I always forget one. There's five C's. <laughs> There's five C's, and so we infuse all of that into them, and so we accelerate. As we say, we accelerate their ventures, and by our expansion over the next couple of years, we have the ability to give them follow-on funding and support, and that we're building also a larger fund, right? So we're becoming this larger venture capital firm, right? That we can play in the field with the big boys and big women. Right. Um, who are doing great things and funding who, who are funding other ventures. But if I'm a, if I'm a person of color or a woman, I want to say I want to have some of that money. And I, who's going to fund me? Well, we know that Camelback Ventures and our roofless Fund has the ability to proliferate those ventures. And so. That's so cool. Yeah. So it is how do
0: you, know, you guys find them? What is that process like?
1: So it, we source and we vet. Um, we actually we actually. So shout out to my uh, colleague, Caroline Luke who is our uh, director of our uh, search and selection, we actually will, we have a process every year. Um, usually a company would come in for about six months and they would work with us. We would infuse them with capital and with the coaching and curriculum and the connections in the community. Uh, and then we would actually float them, you know, to give them a, but we're going to do more. And so we figured that if we were only bringing in 12 to 15 ventures a year, we're not impacting as many people as we could. And so what we're going to do is that we've shortened, our, we've shortened our selection period, we've shortened the time that we're going to use those five C's, and so we're going to bring in hopefully about 30 to 35 ventures a year and have more resources. Like I said, we are expanding at Camelback Ventures. I've actually taken on a new role where I get to work with those ventures extensively after they come out of our program because I've built such an expansive network in the ecosystem that I get to say, okay hey, let me talk to Seth Levine at Foundry Capital. Hey, I think this venture is going to be really, really good. Let's have a conversation. You might be able to infuse some cash into them, right? Uh I might talk to Tamara and say, I've got got a great organization that your coaching would be amazing for them because they're dealing with imposter syndrome. They don't know how to do the marketing and media that they need to. And so, hey, that has our ability to put funds in your pocket and then you infuse your knowledge back into them. So this is a wonderful oh job. God. I get to. I get to actually. I actually get to bring them. Some of them on my podcast to really illuminate. Illuminate. I'm gonna keep saying that all day long. It's
0: so good. Illuminate it's literally it so my long. word. I love it yeah. so much. But my biggest thing with that is like, is the recognition and it's exactly what your company is doing and what your passion point is, is not just the illumination because we can all stand up and be like, oh, I have an idea, right? Which is kind of that light bulb moment, the illumination piece, but it's truly the activation thereafter. And so really creating alongside somebody the framework by which they can actually activate that idea, that dream, that vision, and put it into action so that there is a massive ripple effect in the world. So, I'm curious, from a financial standpoint, what are like the average? What's the average venture receiving in order to make their dreams happen?
1: Um, so, for us, we're a fr- friends and family round first. So, we give about mm-hmm. forty to fifty thousand to be that infusion of cash. Yep. Many of our ventures, we're the first person to fund them. Okay. And so you think about that. It's it, it's a small, it's a friends and family round. That friends and family round can go for some people up to 150, 500. What we've done, as I said, as we're expanding, is that we have the ability to, to create a follow-on funding of 250K and then to be able to bring on partners with them. Cool. And then as we expand our roofless fund, we have the ability to write a bigger check if we really think that. You can make a huge splash in the ecosystem, in your market, that you understand your customers, that you're solving a pain point. And, and, and lastly, this can make money
0: yeah. um, as
1: well as on the nonprofit side, because we do fund some nonprofits that they're making impact. They, they have a lion's share of impact in their market Um, uh, you know, and, and what they're doing. And so and we've really been education focused. The last thing I'll say, we brought in last year what was called conscious tech. And this is this is companies that are building apps and platforms that are really amplifying the lives of black and indigenous people of color. And so Mm -hmm. I think about Julio Rivera, who is the CEO of Liberate. It's a meditation app for everyone, um, but he primarily focuses in bringing in black and indigenous people of colors as teachers as meditation guides. And if you remember, you're thinking about what happened in the summer of 2020, people were looking for this community, right? Th- this community, I want to. I want to br- be in with my people. Liberate brought people together uh, to actually really heal, and so it's been a wonderful operation around our conscious tech. Um, to how do we illuminate what he's doing, right? To uplift a greater good and a greater group of people to heal through this traumatic period of time. So we're looking for more conscious tech people who are thinking about how do we build more successful, holistic lives like Liberate. And so we're looking for those great, even unicorn ventures that are changing the lives of people
0: really, really cool. I'm so like, interested, my wheels are spinning a 1000 miles a minute is what you do when you get an entrepreneur in a room with another one, right? It's just like, hold on, how can we make this bigger? How can we make this more efficient and serve more people? So let's kind of circle it back a bit more to your heartbeat to your storyline to where you see yourself going where you see the What's Your Revolution podcast going. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, from the serving that you do, because on your podcast, it's not just about black men. It's about the people who love them. And so I love that that's like your your open door for women to come into the show, exactly. which I think is really cool. Um, Tell me about just like the lessons learned that you've had or like what you and see, like the expansion of what it is that you're doing look like.
1: Um, I always have to tell a little bit of this story, how I, how I got here. And, And the first part of that answer is, for me, is to continue to grow into this this better version of me. And, and people were like, well, you, you seem to be a good man now. I wasn't always a good man. Um, and I can't even say that I'm a, a good man now. I'm growing and more even, you know, turning 50 in May. It's still a process. And the story of me sitting on my ex-girlfriend's porch after getting, you know, basically her kicking me out. and I've got to wait 45 minutes for an Uber to come pick me up because I'm in san diego in the mountains of you know in the mountains of california and we've had it out and you know she's found out about my indiscretions and we our our rocky tumultuous relationship is coming to an end and as i'm riding down the road and i'm blocking her from everything and she's blocking me from everything and i'm realizing that this is not the life that i want to live and this is the life i've always lived i've always kind of lived behind this veil of what i thought what what i thought was It was supposed to be a man in relationship with women. And and so for me personally, it has been this three, three and a half, four year journey to be an up, you know, as we would label an upstanding man, to be truthful and honest and to be um, thinking about myself and how I show up. Um, It's interesting because I was talking to some friends, Tamara, and ironically, there was a strike between us. And they were talking about their lives and, you know, how they were living their lives right now. And I realized that I was literally on the other side of this stripe. It was a a, a parking line. And I was like, I'm not there anymore. And so this feeling of when I hear you talk about this and this lifestyle and how you're living, I'm not mad at that because that's how I used to be but I can feel the visceral reaction in my body to say, you know what, that's just not who I am anymore. And I'm hoping to try to proliferate more men to move on this other side of the stripe. Because what I realized, honestly, as a liar, is that honesty will get you further in life than anything else. And when you have the ability to tell the truth, even though it is very, very hard sometimes, because you're worrying, you know, my good friend, Dr. Samantha Francois said, I might lie to you, not to deceive you, but to save your feelings. Hmm. Well, ultimately, I'm not responsible for your feelings, right? We are 100% responsible for our feelings. And that is another part of that lesson. And so me not wanting to hurt someone's feelings, I'm doing them a disservice because I'm not being 100% responsible for myself, and I'm taking on their responsibility. And so once we realize that we have 100% 100 responsibility for ourselves, and that other people have their own responsibility, we can actually move better in the world. And so that's how I'm trying to work with men in the conversations that I have on What's Your revolutions, and the conversations that I have with men in the coaching groups that I have, uh, or the uh, just in the, how do I want to say, the group opportunities I have to sit with men to talk about these vulnerabilities, how they can show up better in their relationships, how do they show up better at work, how do they hold back some of the anger and frustration that they're dealing with? Or how do they even purposely and, and positively let it go? And so what's your revolution is that opportunity. And so the expansion comes from just proliferating the brand even more, putting it out there, being on podcast with you, you know, illuminating your brand and how there's opportunities for partnership. Um, I used to speak around the country about this, but my ministry is, is, is the podcast and I'm really, really happy with it and the ability to sit with young men. I, that's what I really want to do because if we can get a cadre, a cadre of young men who are thinking about their relationships with whoever, we, we see a better society. We see better relationships. We see people, you know, I, I hear so many women, you know, and so many men who are in relationships with men say, you know what, y'all are just horrible. And I don't <laughs> when do we stop saying that uh, uh, about men? You know, when do we stop socializing men that, you know, toxicity and deception are a part of masculinity and manhood, that being healthy means to be vulnerable, to be to open up, right, to say the things that you need, to understand your hurt and pain, right, to get therapy, all of those things, Um, I think, is my ministry and the ability to amplify those to men who are actually searching. So I have my avatar as an entrepreneur who I, I work with, and that avatar comes out a lot. Ultimately... That avatar is me, but I have another cadre of friends who fit that avatar as well.
0: That's so good. And honestly, I have this conversation all the time with coaching clients about is that often our avatar was our past self (laughs) and the person that you wish that you could infuse information to at that state in their life. And so it's our mission, our revolution to make those to follow better that generational impact of, of actual information. And you keep touching on relationship and ultimately everything we do is rooted in love, his love, our love towards one another. Um, but it's like that understanding of, of intimacy in that relationship, that understanding of connection. And for a long time, we share another piece of our storyline that I too wore a veil and you actually mentioned it before, like, you're always even so joyful and you're always so happy. And I'm like, yeah. And it's so intentional. I never want it to appear as fake because I was hiding behind a lot of my life. And, you know, I think often as a man, you can probably understand the lifestyle that you led and the lifestyle that you see others continue to lead and the lack of intimacy that they have with themselves is because of the veil that they wear. And they think that they're wearing the veil for other people, but in fact, they're limiting themselves from seeing themselves. Yes. And yes. when I was finally able to like remove that which we learn the same thing scripturally, like when Jesus removed the veil of the church and his death on the cross was that understanding of relationship, that understanding of connection, that understanding of intimacy, we were able to see ourselves as worthy for the first time. And that worthiness is what gives me joy because I am able to root myself in an intimate relationship with myself and with my God before I ever extend that relationship or connection to anyone else. And so I feel the problem with that lack of knowing, that lack of self worth, that imposter syndrome, that living on the other line, right? Living on the other side of that line, that racy line. And I, and I get it. I understand the adrenaline that comes with it. I understand the eagerness. I understand the race, the rat wheel, the chase, all of those things. And that's ultimately where they're saying, They are literally on a treadmill, an endless treadmill going absolutely nowhere. And they think that there's endurance being built when in fact God's burden is light. His yoke is easy. And therefore, on the other side of the line where we now have the joy and the privilege to stand in humility is in constant submission on our knees. And so if people could understand that even in limelight, even in a ring light, if you will, or a podcast or any of those things. Like I literally, if I would, like I would be on my knees right now because I so desperately want to see people able to remove the veil of their own lives, find true purpose in the connection and intimacy and love of the father. And if we can do that, not just for men, that's an eager desire for women. I have, because I also believe that women are living probably even more in secret than what men are because men men tend to, what I've seen, be open about the fact that they're living that racy line and they're living on that side. And it's actually honored and it's actually kudos and snapped and clapped and cheered. That's awesome, bro. And at the exact same time, the women are looked at as scum, dirty, The the shame, the guilt that's added to every single layer, and therefore there's no ability to remove the veil because we're in utter shame. Mm
1: -hmm. I I I totally agree. I mean, with with everything. And as you were talking, I kept thinking about me loving when someone labeled me a bad boy. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally loving it, and and dressing you know in this right this archetype of the bad boy, like. right, you know, I didn't say that 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 alter ego was my last name. Corporal, you're a bad boy. And this grin that came along. Oh, yeah, I love that. But it wasn't, as you said, it wasn't this intimacy with myself. Um, It was a game and I enjoyed playing the game. Right. But ultimately, it was very, very empty. And you realize that when that event happens, when you're sitting on a porch and you're like, this is another one. This is this is the end to another one, either by you or by someone else, but there's the end. Like what does the bad boy get you at the end of the day? It gets you nothing, right? There's no intimacy, there's no relationship, there's no higher power bringing you in. There's nothing. It is it, it is an emptiness, but because we have been socialized at least I let me let me put this back because I was socialized so much by this, by friends, you know, we would have this model of deny till you die. Mm. That was our thing. And I mean, I learned that early on. I learned that in high school, I learned it was proliferated in college and just moved on and watching this. And that's how I built my life. Um, uh, and can look back at the line of women that I was with and, and even my ex fiance, who was an amazing woman. And I am blessed Tamara, that she still continues to have me in her life, even though I was this horrible man. Um, uh, that this line of people that I have hurt, you know, or, or who were then hurt and then hurt me, you, you end up on this step and you're like, I can't do this anymore. And that is where this journey of, well, let me go find out how to be a better version of myself. And I want to see somebody that looks like me. And there was nobody, in, there was nobody out there doing this type of work. There was nobody that looked like me. So as you know, as an entrepreneur, there's a pain point and there's a solution Let's fill the gap. <laughs> let's let's fill the gap. What's your, real, what's your revolution fills the gap? Ironically, and I just uh, in here is that the number of women that listen to my show is astounding. And the number of comments right, that women send me thanking me about the show. And these are women of all races, all, mm-hmm. all, all ethnicities that listen to the show and say, wow, I learned something more right? That'll allow me to interact, even if it doesn't have to be a romantic relationship, how I interact with black men, you know, in a different way. And the men on the show were like, oh, wait a minute. The last show with Rashid Thomas was about self-actualization, right? Getting to that point. If you can't master love and belonging and self-esteem, you're never going to get to that version of yourself where you're the best, you're self-actualized. But Rashid Thomas gives us that roadmap.
0: So good. It's so good. And I think that's where like even opening up the doors to that conversation and to be able to say and hear the perspectives of both sides is so critical because it's it was the same way for girls. Like my my lingo for it was different. And I would say like I'm a guy's girl in the sense that like I'd get invited to either all, all the guys hangouts. Right. And it'd be rad to be in that space. If I was with girls, I was like, man, this is so boring. Guys are so much more fun. And ultimately, there's a root to everything. There is a root to why we strive. There's a root to why the race and the chase and the, the names and the titles and the recognition, even if it's as the bad boy, there's a root to that. And so it's the understanding through therapy, the understanding through self-actualization and emotional intelligence and um, prayer Ultimately being rooted in the word where somebody else is speaking and proclaiming truth over you versus lies that you're taking hold of as a label that we're able to understand that the roots have to be uprooted. Because what happens otherwise is we are causing a generational curse and likely the generational curse that you think is on your shoulders is actually on family and friends and society And other things, but we have to take ownership of that as well. Because any decision that I've made was out of self choices. However, being guided by a culture that was okay with animosity, with okay with hurting other people, okay with lying and getting away with it. And so I just am so grateful for your honesty um, and, and knowing that it was rooted even <laughs> circling back to your days at Green Run, right, and it being a cultural problem that needs to be addressed. And yes. so I love that you're not attacking or approaching your revolution from let's fix the problem, but instead let's let's solve the problem. And to, how can we have a further, deeper conversation to help others infuse that revolution over their own life?
1: Yes. As you were talking, Tamara, I think about uh, my good friend, Kelly Salney, who is um, our director of strategic partnerships at Camelback. And uh, I love the work that we do. And we get to think about these robust ideas of how to how to really make a huge splash in the landscape. And one of the things that Kelly is doing now, we we actually start uh, on the ninth, is that we have this generational inheritance campaign. And every time you would talk about this generational Perspective and how we're passing down, you know, this knowledge. You think about generational wealth. Well, generational wealth starts with generational inheritance. What knowledge and skills and strategies and and tactics and information are we passing down to the next generation? So they're better than us. And so Kelly would always ask me. She was like, "What's what's your generational inheritance?" Well, what's your revolution? This podcast is memorialized. It is. You know, this ability for people to go back however long podcasts are gonna be it's there. And so this information is now passed down. And so fathers and husbands and mentors and uncles and godfathers can listen and 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 the people who love them can listen and and continue to digest and be better. That's the generational inheritance piece that you talk about. This ability to those nuggets, like, hey, like Uncle Charles used to be this way. Yes. Let me show you. Let me show you what it's like to cross that line and be this version. This is Uncle Charles. Now this is Paran as my youngest Godson called my youngest Godson. San Solomon Francois Brown calls me in New Orleans Paran, you know, as I try to show him, you know, as he he's going to grow to be this big. I mean, literally this he's He's a, at nine. He's literally a bowling ball in a china shop at nine. <laughs> he's going to be tall and muscular and handsome. And but the world is still going to see him this way. And I want to show him that you can be on the other side of this line very early.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. To, it's, you don't have to deal with Ran had to deal with as a man. Yeah. That's that generational inheritance piece.
0: It's so powerful and so necessary. And one of the people who are listening now, we are, she's a financial coach. And so her, her heart is thinking of wealth is towards money. And we know too that there is so much more to wealth than just finances. And so inheritance is a deposit of all the fruits of the spirit, joy, kindness, goodness, self control, which speaks that. right into this conversation now and even forbearance and and that steadfastness. And these are the self-control and forbearance. You're like, how is that a fruit? That sounds terrible. That sounds awful. But when we are able to stand on the other side of the line, right? And look backwards, there's an air of empathy towards every other person who's on the other side of the line to be able to say, hey, cross over with me and and stand on this line with me because there's actually betterness. There's actually goodness. There's actually fruit over here. And that chase that you think is what you're yearning for is actually the opposite and like you said, you're going to end up on a stair step somewhere <laughs> with absolutely nothing. nothing. And so recognizing that everybody's nothing looks really different. And sadly, with the state of the world that it is, some people's nothing actually is taking their lives and being in a state of utter depression, anxiety, that they're in a place of suicidal thought when I've been there. Um, and so it's a huge passion of mine as well to understand that. Wealth is about alignment and it's alignment of your mental health, your physical health, your spiritual well-being, your emotional health, your soul, right? Your mind, will, your emotions. If you cannot approach that with authenticity, even for yourself, then there just ends up being this stalemate. This experience of talk about mediocrity, you stay there, you stay yeah. stuck there, and it's it's really a chain bearing place to be. Um, so I I can just see all the comments flooding in. Everyone is so grateful for your honesty and your transparency. And I want to lend one more question to the audience. Um, also, you have a fellow stallion in the house. Oh, okay, <laughs> there she is. <laughs> it is uh, the recognition that. Us being in two total different and two total different um, ethnicity groups, two total different generational groups, two total different not really um, place settings because we're in the same building (laughs) and we both have roots in Virginia Beach. Like, talk to me about this concept of the bridge, because last year I was really um, invested in everything that happened with Black Lives Matter matters and and this racial tension that has always existed it was nothing new there was just a new name a new slogan to it really um and a new face as media becomes what it is continuing to evolve into and um I don't want to get her name wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's Letitia Johnson or Jackson. And she has be the bridge and she has a book around it, which is what I was um, supported in with a fellow friend who was like, you've got to read this. you got to listen to it. And I, I want so deeply to be able to be a bridge for people um, and in the community. And so I just want you to speak into that, like as a white woman, what's your advice, what's your insight and how can I, I be a bridge for your community?
1: No, wonderful. And that's I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the question. I appreciate the openness and vulnerability, um, you know, in my work, in my equity work, when I was running my consulting firm, really working with white leaders who you know, have the ability to have privilege. And so the wonderful thing about you, Tamara, is that the openness and vulnerability and, and the infectiousness. Right. And the leadership that you bring, it draws people to you. And so that means you also have a voice. Hmm. Um, And so, but it's how you use your voice, right? That actually will illuminate and actually open people's minds to different things because you have established yourself as a thought leader, a person that people, people trust that groups of people trust. And that's what happens. We're looking, we're looking to trust our leaders. We're looking for honesty and truthfulness. right? And so I think, in your voice, right, and who you are, you have the ability to, one, go, and if you have to do deeper work, it's fine. And and, and, I, and I actually think that you've already done and continue to do this work because I, I I look at your podcast. I look at who you bring on. I listen. And so listening to these stories of, of people who do not look like you from race, gender, ethnicity, um, on down the, the intersectional perspective allows you to Build your bridge. If we're, if we're thinking about that like that, that a bridge, you know, it, it takes a long time, and you're building piece by piece by piece. For us as leaders, our opportunities to continue to build our bridges by is by sitting in rooms with people that don't look like us, that don't sound like us, right? And and listening. Oftentimes, my friends would say, "To be an ally or an accomplice, right? You've got to sit in a room and shut up, mm-hmm. right?" And so it allows you to learn because when when the time for you to speak loudly will come, not in a room with us, it will be in those quiet rooms when people think that they can say or do things about a certain group and nobody speaks up. Mm. And so you, because what is going to happen? Oh, Tamara, let me put these people. It is those choice points that Rasheed Thomas talks about in my podcast, that the people that we're going to become happen in those choice points. We can choose not to say anything. Or we can choose to be revolutionary in that stance right then and there. As as a person in in a leadership position like yourself who who wants to be an ally, who wants to be an accomplice, who wants to build bridges, sit in those rooms. And then when those choice points come, stand up, stand loud, stand proud and say, these are who the people that I represent. And those actions don't fit. And this is how we should go. Because if you continue to do that and you continue to be courageous and revolutionary in that aspect, we can shift our we can shift the experiences of people that don't have privilege. As a man, I have privilege. If men are talking derogatory about other people, it is my job in those choice point moments to say, you know what, that's not cool. I remember being in a Starbucks a couple of years ago, I was flying home and this young brother was just degrading this young woman in, in Starbucks, calling her names and saying, you're dumb. And I could have said in that moment, I could have said, it's not my business. I'm just getting my tea. I'm ready to go. And I said, no. I said, young brother, you don't need to talk to her that way. Why? She's just a, no, she's not. She's a queen, right? And what she's thinking about you is saying that you're just ignorant, right? Mm-hmm. You're just ignorant. And now, so now she has these thoughts about you. And so now you can't come together and build. And so, so that's what we have to do. And so if I had never said anything and I pulled him aside and I said, look, brother, you can't treat this sister like this. She's your sister. You might not be related, but she is a sister. She's a black woman. And in those moments, what if somebody else in this store that didn't look like me heard that they're going to take that this young woman will take this or this is how she is. You're not protecting her. So if you're going to build those bridges, which you already do, Tamara, I watch you build a bridge. I know you have this bridge with Josh, but that was a moment. Mm -hmm. And I sat and listened is the ability to minister to other people when when nobody else is listening. And that's how you build the bridge, in my opinion.
0: I love that so much. Thank you so much for the compliment and for sharing that example, because I think it happens all the time, every day, every minute of every day. Um, I have a question because something for me that I always deal with is like this twinge of privilege, right? And understanding what privilege is. And there's an entire um, chapter in that book about privilege. And so if you're a white woman or a white male listening to this right now, I would really encourage you to go and read all the chapters, but that one specifically. And I, through my membership program um, and help and desire to build women up of every color, every ethnicity, every generational break or change or differentiation, right? And realizing that Oftentimes, there are Black women who cannot afford it. And I you know, have this twinge of like, gosh, do I just let every Black girl <laughs> into to the membership and just say, Black people are free? Like, do you say that out loud? Or is this something that you have private conversations with, which is how I handle it now? And I want to see them thrive. I want their generational change to be on the backbone of my heart. Because my backbone is the heart of the Lord. And if they have access to see and say and sit at a table, just like Clubhouse is allowing us to sit at a table with other people, I want to see them thrive. And I don't talk to people about it. I've literally never said this out loud other than to my one right hand who's on here right now. How do I go about that and honor people, honor where they are, but also move forward and build them up and not right. make them feel any sort of regret or twinge of of guilt over it
1: right uh it it is a great question I, i think that to be honest i think we take race out of it i think if we think about this from an equitable perspective not everybody may have the ability to pay um and so it is those private conversations and the ability to say how can i serve you how can i meet you where you are that's equity and so some people actually think equity is, is is that you're taking something from one group and you're giving it to another group. No, you're meeting people where, where they are. Some people have the ability to pay your your, uh, as I say, your uh, Maserati level of service. You know, some people will have to pay your, you know, can pay your Honda level of service. Some people will pay your Hyundai level of service. Right. It's understanding, like, like you said, as a as a God driven, right, centered Christian centered woman. God would say, "Meet this person where you are, where they are, and proliferate them, because that's our duty. We have been given, and we, you know, God has has filled and poured within our cup. Why should we only fill this cup of those who can pay our our, our greatest prices?" And I had to do that with my clients, you know, and, and thinking about, you know, all right, I know that you can pay, you know, you can pay this fifteen twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollar fee, because that's what I'm worth. Because you're this big conglomerate corporation, and I know. I know that you're a small nonprofit and I know I want to get you to this big place, but you can't at this point in time because that big conglomerate started right somewhere. And somebody gave them that support. They poured into their cup. And so meeting them where they are. And I don't you don't have to you know, this is somewhere where you may not have to illuminate to the crowds. (laughs) Right. But you're illuminating your ministry to them and say, look, I'm going to meet you where you are. Right. And these are the things. And so that person by your coaching may have the ability to amplify their business where they move up to the Honda. Right. They move up. And then all of a sudden you're you're mentoring, your ministry, your coaching allows them to move up to the Maserati. But if we if we only say that I'm going to work with this tier, we miss out. And that's why we have so many gaps in our country. The generational wealth gap is is tremendous because I only want to pour into my high net because that's where my that's where my money makes. I don't believe in that, but that's just me.
0: Such good wisdom. Thank you so much. Um, Morgan's husband is a fellow pastor, friend of mine, who I value so much. And it reminded me, as you were saying that, the example of, um, you know, if you're trying to teach somebody something, you do it for them to teach them first Then you come alongside them to help them while they do it. And then eventually you get to cheer on the sidelines and watch them do it. And so I think that's ultimately what building a bridge is, no matter who or where or how you decide to do it and what your purpose is in that um, and so I, I honor you for for doing that with your own community but also in a conversation like this in your co-working space where you are I would never know me and Morgan rave over your sweetness and kindness all the time so I love that you have a backstory and we all do. And I love that you're transparent in that because it makes me like you that much more um, <laughs> and want to rave about you that much more. So um, yeah, I just honor this conversation. Is there anything more? Obviously you guys have to go listen to What's Your Revolution podcast. If you are a woman of color and you are looking for seed funding, you also know where to go. Yeah, and please. how Camelback else- Ventures. Can... Org. Yeah, there, yes. what does it say again?
1: CamelbackVentures.org.
0: There it is. How else can they get in touch with you, Charles?
1: Uh, It is What's Your Revolution on Everything, uh, or you can email me at ccorporu uh, at wyrevolution. Uh, But please check out our Facebook, Instagram, uh, and Twitter pages to check out all of our interesting content. Uh, But I would love to hear from those. And please uh, listen to the podcast to learn as much about, you know, men and the people, you know, like I said, men and the people who love them. And so we're really grateful for the listenership and the growth and our ability to minister and pour into people's cups. Uh, It is a wonderful time, but I want to say that I am grateful for this time with you. Uh, I have tremendous admiration uh, and adoration for who you are as a person and what you do. Uh, This fit and faith is amazing, but just to see you illuminate, I'm going to use that illuminate to the world, this radiance that when you come into a room, people know, okay, Tamara's here and there's this like, okay, I I can breathe a little bit easier because we know that there's some joy and blessings within you. So I'm tremendously grateful for this opportunity to be with you
0: thank you so much that means the world and i appreciate that i got a little jig in me too but you haven't seen that yet <laughs> <laughs> i'll share that one day yeah. you guys thank you so much for tuning in live with us if you're listening on the podcast please go subscribe like review but First off, go do it for Charles Corporeau at What's Your Revolution podcast. It will change your life and your mind, and ultimately it will change your heart. And that is what we're here to do. So Charles, thank you for partnering with me in that today. It was a gift, and I know that you're going to continue to make a revolution for yourself and for those around you. Thank you. See you later. All right. Hey, y'all. It's me again. I hope in today's episode you sense and ignite to an ember within you. Something mentally, physically, emotionally, or spiritually moving that creates and sustains a fire within your journey. Before you go, let's solidify the flame. I'd love for you to take a step right now in declaring your takeaway. By snapping a pic of the episode you tuned into, share your sparked moment and tag me at fitandfaith_podcast underscore podcast or me personally at tamra.andress on Insta. I hope that I can keep you accountable and also share you with the greater community of the Fit and Faith podcast listeners.